welcome to this episode of Drug Target Reviews podcast, sponsored by Molecular Devices. I'm your host, Ria Kakad, Editorial Assistant of Drug Target Review. This episode is the second part of our Organoid series. If you missed the first episode, you can check it out on the Drug Target Review website. You can find more information in the description box. We have a great episode to kick off the new year. Today, I'll be joined by Judy Wardwell, Senior Scientist at Insfero. Also joining us is Sebastian Peck, a Senior Product Manager in Cellular Imaging at Molecular Devices. Today, we'll be discussing data acquisition in three-dimensional organoids. But before we begin, let's hear from our sponsors, Molecular Devices. This podcast is brought to you by Molecular Devices. With its innovative life science technology, Molecular Devices makes scientific breakthroughs possible for academic, pharmaceutical, government, and biotech customers. Head to moleculardevices.com to find out more. So thank you both, Sebastian and Judy, for being here today. I'm really excited to begin our discussion. But before we do so, I think it'll be great to hear a little bit more about your backgrounds. So Judy, uh, could you introduce yourself, please? Yes, as uh, Ria mentioned, I am a senior scientist at Insphero. Insphero is a 3D microtissue company. Uh, I've been at Insphero for seven years. Um, my main role there is as a cell biologist supporting uh, primarily the high content imaging technologies um, that are in use by Insphero's service team. I also um, have over 20 years of experience in the pharma industry where I was a principal scientist at uh, Bristol Myers Squibb, and at that in that role, I was in charge of a group that conducted phenotypic screening. Perfect, thank you, Judy. Sebastian, could you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, thank you. I'm uh, really excited to be on the podcast. Uh, so I am Sebastian Peck, and I am a product manager. So what my role is really to to own the the cellular imaging portfolio uh, for molecular devices. Um, go out and talk to people and try to understand you know, what the the most important uh, types of developments that we can have and bring those to our customers. Um, so, you know, I spent a lot of time going out and, and talking to people and understanding you know, what our customer needs are and bringing those um, into the different types of products that we have, um, really specifically around high content imaging and cellular imaging. Uh, I come from a background where I uh, did a lot of um, imaging. Um, so I, I did. I studied microbiology, and uh, and then went through uh, some time building custom instrumentation and managing a core facility uh, at UCSF, and, and then uh, spending some time doing both uh, field applications work and teaching uh, and at uh, Icon, and then also product management uh, at uh, Spectrophysics. Thank you. Perfect. Great. Thank you both. So we're here today to discuss data acquisition and 3D imaging of an organoid. But to set the scene, maybe we could discuss the differences between 2D cell cultures and 3D spheroids. Judy, could you take us through the positives, please? So um, concerning 3D models, organoids and spheroids, um, some of the advantages of, of 3D models in general are that they are the 3D architecture of those models um, begins to recapitulate the 3D architecture that's found in human tissues. Um, and, and further, um, 3D microtissues and spheroids, um, organoids, they all have the ability to form th um, 3D zones 
Um, we're probably most familiar with the 3D zones of tumor uh, tissue, and those include the hypoxic, uh, proliferative, and quiescent zones. And there's opportunities with these 3D models to recapitulate those zones. And then last but not least, one of the other advantages of 3D models is that they are more equipped to support multicellular um, models, um, multicellular meaning multiple cell types, and along with that, the interactions between those different cell types. So those are some of the advantages that, um, that we see in the 3D model space. Perfect. Now, Sebastian, could you take us through some of the challenges? Yeah, one, one of the big challenges of these, these 3D organoids and, and 3D steroids and these 3D systems, um, you know, one of them is, you know, one of the biggest ones is creating them uh, and, and making them so that they are the same and that you can create them at scale and create robust, uh, reproducible models. Uh, and that's one of the, the biggest challenges that, that a lot of people have in, in creating these 3D organoids. Um, you know, when it comes down to, you know, the imaging and trying to image and get inside of them is that they're a very heterogeneous, um, model. And, and that's, you know, one of the big advantages that Judy had, has just mentioned is that you have different types of zones within those. But one of the big disadvantages of that is that going in and trying to look at that and image that means that you have very heterogeneous tissue, which means that you have different uh, refractive indices, uh, which is, uh, you know, can cause it uh, much harder to, to see through them. Uh, and they can be very large, so then it can be very difficult to image all the uh, add depth into those systems to see those cellular interactions that you, that are really interesting. Judy, do you have anything to add here? Why are 3D organoids harder to image compared to 2D cell cultures? So I'd also like to point out that there are a number of challenges leading up to the actual imaging step, specifically the, the steps involving the assay itself or the labeling of the uh, 3D model. So 3D models um, will also often uh, be quite thick and difficult to penetrate with uh, common labeling reagents such as probes and antibodies. And it may require you to modify existing 2D labeling protocols to accommodate the extra density and thickness of those samples. For example, you may have to increase your incubation times with the antibodies or probes. You may also have to use harsher uh, permeabilization conditions to enable those probes to freely flow into the interior of these 3D models. And there also may be a need for uh, additional encouragement in terms of uniform labeling, such as applying electrophoresis to the, the system. And then the second challenge is really the processing steps themselves. There are many uh, when labeling cells for high content imaging. There often are several different applications of antibodies and many intervening wash steps involved. And for 3D models that are free-floating or non-attached 3D models, accidental aspiration can be a big problem during the processing steps. And so in this case, you may have to use specialized automation equipment. It's designed for extra slow pipetting, offset pipetting to avoid aspirating or even in some cases damaging the delicate 3D model. And in other cases, you may have to resort to a specialized um, microplate that has a dedicated feeding ledge, for example. 
So these are some of the challenges that we've seen leading up to the actual imaging step. So how does this impact the type of agents used for each? Sebastian, maybe you could start. Uh, well, because they're they're much more complex to make and they take much longer to, to build and much longer to image because they're, you know, you have much more cell types, um, it becomes much harder to do them at, at very large scales. Um, you know, partly partly due to the fact that you, you create these these small or you know big organoids um, versus like a 2D cell culture where it's much easier to scale that up to a much higher volume of treatment cells. Judy, do you have anything to add there? So yes, the microscope hardware is um, is definitely a consideration um, when you're imaging 3D models. Um, so if you want the speed of a higher throughput application, then certainly a spinning disc confocal is um, something that you'd, you'd want to consider um, for fast acquisition of 3D images, um, as well as uh, the ability to um, very quickly, at a low magnification, identify the location of your object to make for the most efficient uh, imaging process. We we also see a need for um, scientific CMOS cameras um, in, in these applications, preferably large format, so we can get as much of the model in a single frame as possible. Laser excitation is also important for, um, for getting good light penetration. And finally, um, we see the need for high NA objectives, but also long working distance objectives to um, efficiently acquire images through the 3D volume. What are some other solutions um, to image inside of a 3D organoid? Sebastian, do you have any um, other suggestions? Yeah, so the, the microscope hardware for imaging inside of 3D organoids is, um, you know, is, can, can range widely. Um, you know, one, one of the main, main techniques that is, is really important you know, kind of as a, on the very high level is, is like bright field imaging, um, which can be used to, to look at your organoids, see how they're growing, um, make sure that they're growing how you'd like them to grow. Um, and then, you know, within that bright field technology, we then can uh, utilize things like machine learning uh, to do segmentation and, and measure, um, you know, the growth curves of these systems. Uh, the downside of bright field imaging is that you can't get really specific um, imaging of you know specific cellular interactions or cellular types. So then, uh, what's really important is going to uh, some sort of a fluorescent imaging technology, uh, such such as wide field. Uh, but the big downside of wide field would be that um, you're not getting rid of the out of focus light. Um, so then, you know, as Judy mentioned, going to a spinning disc confocal, which has really become the standard for high throughput imaging, uh, would be the kind of the main thing that people are using uh, for imaging organoids today in high throughput. Um, some of the advantages of that spinning disc technology is that you can use a camera um, versus uh, like a laser scanning microscope uh, where you have to use PMTs and, and it's a much slower, um, generally speaking, with less pixels and less sensitive. Uh, so, so you can use a spinning disc confocal, which then gets rid of that out-of-focus light and allows you to penetrate uh, deep into the organoid. 
Um, there are, still are some limitations, so there are some more advanced techniques uh, that we can also talk about, which might allow for a little bit deeper imaging into those organoids, but those aren't really uh, really here yet in um, high-throughput microscopy yet. Um, water immersion is a technique uh, that is used in order to match the refractive index of the immersion media of the microscope objective and the immersion media around the organoid itself. And what that can do is allow for higher numerical aperture. Uh, and the numerical aperture is the amount of angles of light that you can excite and capture um, from the microscope objective. Um, and the more angles of light means that you get more light coming back. Uh, so you get brighter images, but it also means that you get higher resolution images. So you can see more detail inside of the organoid, inside of the you know, intracellular structures, and, and get more information out of it. Perfect, thank you. Um, Sebastian, you did briefly mention um, the advanced um, imaging techniques. Um, could you go um, into a little bit more detail, please? Yeah, so there are a few technologies that have not uh, really been applied to organize yet, but maybe we'll see them in the future. Um, you know, so they've they've been shown in uh, traditional microscopy, uh, things like uh, light sheet technology, where you use a sheet of light to illuminate um, a you know, very large organisms. So people have done this a lot, um, looking at uh, like zebrafish or or very large um, model systems, uh, where you send light. Uh, at a 90 degree angle from the emission light and you're able to image very deep. And this is also kind of correlated very closely with uh, what's called clearing. Uh, and clearing is where you add specific reagents in and, mount, and or mounting medias into those, um, into those samples. And what it does is it dissolves many of the fats and it breaks up a lot of the inhomogeneous um, refractive index mismatches within that sample um, and breaks up a lot of the fat so that you can image much deeper. So uh, a lot of these organoids or um, other types of samples, when you're looking at them, they look kind of um, like a, you know, a funhouse mirror uh, is the analogy that I like to use. So if you use these clearing reagents, um, what you can do is kind of dissolve a lot of the things that make it hard to see through and kind of make your um, you know, your zebrafish or your mouse brain or, 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 or a couple of the ones that people have done uh, done a lot of work around. And, and so you can see much deeper into those samples. Perfect. Thank you, Sebastian. Um, Judy, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, so we make use of clearing agents um, quite extensively in the 3D imaging that we conducted in Sphero. And I agree with Sebastian, this is a... Um, a almost uh, necessary technique for imaging deeply into microtissues. And one of the goals, I think, for many researchers that are doing 3D imaging is to be able to see at least to the core of their model. And I think that it's quite challenging to do that without the, um, the use of clearing reagents. Um, but I do want to point out that in our experience, clearing agents have been very tissue specific. In other words, there is no universal clearing reagent that works for all applications. And I think Sebastian mentioned the um, delipidation uh, step that is part of many clearing reagent applications uh, and solutions. 
Um, and for example, if that is, if fat or steatosis lipid droplets are an endpoint in your assay, of course, delipidation is going to destroy that, um, that endpoint. So there are considerations um, for which clearing agents you use, as well as the ultimate refractive index of those clearing agents and how that might impact uh, additional um, spherical aberrations in, in the light path. So while clearing agents are uh, a necessary part of 3D imaging, uh, I think you have to be very careful in considering which clearing agents and what your downstream endpoints are going to be and making sure that you don't introduce additional artifacts in your in your imaging. That's really interesting. Thank you. Um, so thinking about the future now, what software technology do you see as necessary for the future of imaging inside organoids? Um, Sebastian, maybe you could start with this one. One of the things that, that we've seen um, is, is my, as technology and, and high throughput imaging systems are continuing to get faster and faster and faster. And if you, if you can take kind of the example of, you know, the kind of where, where we have been with a, a lot of 2D models and, and 2D cell culture is that you, you know, you're capturing a, a 2D image, um, and, you know, in a microtiter plate, let's say, you know, 96 wells and, and capturing, um, a single image, um, as, you know, as people are doing more and more imaging of 3D structures like organoids, um, what they're going to be capturing is not just a single 2D image, but they're going to want to get and try to understand what that 3D microenvironment looks like. So that's going to require taking, you know, Z stacks and capturing a full 3D um, image. But, you know, if you think about, you know, trying to screen this in, in high throughput, um, each additional Z step that you have, um, multiplies the the number of images that you're going to capture and the amount of data that you're going to get out of the system. So if you're you know used to capturing a single image and in order to get your full organoid you have to capture a hundred Z images, you then just multiply the amount of data that you need for your your screen by a hundred times. Um, so I think that there's a there's a lot of, of work that needs to be done to really take care of all of the data, manage this data, um, and then also, you know, run analysis on this data because it's going to be, um, you know, a lot of work that needs to be done in order to um, have the computational power to, you know, try to suss out what is really interesting, what what are the interactions that you need to image and what do you need to save versus um, what is just uh, kind of the noise in the background. Yeah, I think in the in the area of image analysis, um, I believe that machine learning and artificial intelligence is going to play a huge role in the 3D imaging space. And there I see um, higher efficiency of image analysis, um, algorithm building um, by the use of AI, but I also see more accurate segmentation of 3D models um, using AI. Um, and we have some personal experience with this, and it's it's remarkable how easily you can train through machine learning the algorithm to recognize um, or segment accurately segment 3D models, where this has been a huge challenge in the past because of how uh, closely associated the cells are within and tightly packed the cells are within a microtissue or spheroid, and also, um, how heterogeneous those um, tissues can be. 
Um, so I think that this is an area where we'll see a, a huge benefit of the utilization of image analysis that includes um, artificial intelligence. Perfect. Thank you. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for in this discussion today. But thank you so much, Judy and Sebastian, for joining me um, and for your excellent points. It's been really great to speak to you both. I feel like I've learned a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in into this Drug Target Review podcast, sponsored by Molecular Devices. I've been Ria Kakad, Editorial Assistant at Drug Target Review. Make sure to keep an eye out for our part three of four of our organoid series coming very soon. Mm-hmm.